Great to be with you all this morning. Uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us online over in our chapel and down at our Minnetonka campus as well. My name is Dan Thorson. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Calvary. I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. We did. We had uh, a household, uh, a house full, uh, I meant to say. And uh, our tradition uh, in uh, our family is the day after Thanksgiving, it's Christmas. So we went and got a Christmas tree, uh, decorated it, uh, and we're, we're ready. We're, we're waiting for, for Christmas. Uh, you uh, have noticed also both of our campuses, we spent some time last week decorating for Christmas. It looks great, doesn't it? I'm really thankful for that and for those who contributed to, uh, with, with that hard work. It's a lot of trees to decorate um, around here. Uh, today is the start of Advent. Advent is a, a set-aside period of time in the church calendar that leads up to Christmas. Uh, Advent means waiting, waiting for Christmas, uh, among other things. Now, we don't like to wait. Waiting is delayed gratification. It's a longing for something that we don't have. It's this desire for things to be different than they currently are. When we wait, we need patience. Uh, patience, the, the Latin root of patience means to suffer. Isn't that a positive thing to think about? But it is. Waiting is suffering because it's seeking to deal with what we don't have and what we want to ultimately be different. Kids, I know that you experience the painful suffering of patience on Christmas when you look and wait to open your presents, right? It's just so painful. Now, of course, patience can be much more painful than that. Micah chapter 7 summarizes the, the pain and anguish of Advent well. It says this, How miserable I am. I feel like the fruit picker after the harvest who can find nothing to eat. Not a cluster of grapes or a single early fig can be found to satisfy my hunger. The godly people have all disappeared not one honest person is left on earth. They are all murderers, setting traps even for their own brothers. Both their hands are equally skilled at doing evil. Officials and judges alike demand bribes. The people with influence get what they want and together they scheme to twist justice. Even the best of them is like a briar. The most honest is as dangerous as a hedge of thorns. But your judgment day is coming swiftly now. Your time of punishment is here, a time of confusion. Don't trust anyone, not your best friend or even your wife, for the son despises his father, the daughter defies her mother, the daughter-in-law defies her mother-in-law. Your enemies are right in your household. He's not painting a very pretty picture. Then he says this, as for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. Now, things obviously aren't going very well for Micah and the Israelites at this point in time. Now, in, after the last service sermon, I realized that I've been mixing up Micah and Malachi. And so last service, people got really bad biblical knowledge. Um, I think the theology was still good, so you guys get the better sermon this time around. So, so Micah uh, was about 700 B.C., and the, 
the kingdom of Israel had split into the north and south, and there was a, a lot of corruption. And so Micah is pointing out the greed of Israel, their corruption, the injustice that's happening, and he's saying that God's judgment is coming on them in the form of a foreign nation, Babylon, is going to come and destroy them. It's not a good time. And so they're entering into Advent, a season of waiting, a season of patience, of suffering, looking towards the day when sometime God is going to make it right again. You know, in the same way we wait today. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus did not solve all of the world's troubles. We still have tragedies. We still suffer. We still experience pain and grief. You know, the Bible talks about the kingdom of God as a now but not yet reality. Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of the new creation. It's like a, it's like a guarantee. But we wait in Advent, like Micah did, for God to show up and once and for all make everything right. And again, waiting assumes pain and suffering. I love how the Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8. It says, and we believers also groan. Sometimes I think we talk about the life of faith as if it should be happy and joyful all the time. Here's permission. We believers also groan, and we do. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. We, you and I, are in Advent both in the church calendar and in reality. We're waiting to celebrate Christmas, but we're also waiting sometimes in painful desperation for God to make everything right. How many of you know this experience of Advent, this painful waiting all too well? You've experienced the, the pain of the death of a loved one and you are waiting to be comforted. Maybe you've experienced the pain of abuse and you're waiting to be liberated. The pain of betrayal, waiting for reconciliation. Or pain in your own body and waiting for healing. We all have pain. We all have suffering. We all have grief. We all have longings in our heart for things to be different than they are right now. For things to be whole, complete, and good. We're in Advent. We're all in Advent. And the question that we're going to be exploring throughout this series, over the next four weeks, this season of Advent, is what should we do while we wait? What is God up to and how is he calling us to respond when things just aren't right in the world and in our lives? And this morning we're going to explore a choice that we all have when it comes 
to waiting. And it's this. When we wait, we can either wait passively or actively. I brought this children's book uh, with me. Dr. Seuss, Oh, the Places You'll Go. We read this periodically to our kids, but there's one uh, section in here all about waiting. I'm going to read that this morning. It's called The Waiting Place. For people, just waiting. Waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or no, or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. Waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for Friday night, or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. Now in this sense, Dr. Seuss is pointing out that waiting is often passive. We're dissatisfied with the current life as we, as we know it, and we want things to be different, and so we just sit around and hope it changes. Plead with God that maybe it can change. And I think when we wait passively, it leads to frustration and even despair, because maybe it will always be this way. We can either wait passively, or we can wait actively. On the next page, Dr. Seuss profoundly writes this. No, that's not for you. Somehow you'll escape all that waiting and staying. You'll find the bright places where boom bands are playing. So according to Dr. Seuss and scripture, we have a choice to make when it comes to Advent. When it comes to waiting, we can do it passively, sit by and just hope things change. Or we can be active in the process. Now I was faced with a, a similar choice in my 20s when it came to marriage. I had a couple of serious relationships end and I was feeling pretty discouraged. It seemed like everyone around me was getting married, my siblings, my cousins, my good friends. And there was pain in that for me. Now not suffering in any significant sense, but discomfort, insecurity, and some grief. I was stuck waiting, waiting for when would it be my turn, waiting for when I would find someone to marry, waiting for when I could start a family. And I realized I had this choice. I could wait passively in my pain and discomfort. I could just wait and hope something changed in my circumstances, or I could be active in my waiting. Now, for me, that meant actively becoming the kind of person that I wanted to attract someday. I wanted to be the kind of man that the kind of woman I wanted would want. Does that that make sense? And so I did my best to take up God's call to be active in my waiting. Now that included some things like physical fitness. I had some buddies and when we would exercise, we would have this little mantra to, you know, motivate each other. We would say, for our lives and for our wives. But it involved way more than that, too. I mean, I, 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 while I waited, I wanted to work on my character, on my overall emotional health, on my relationships, on my relationship with Jesus. I even wanted to work on my longing for marriage. I truly wanted to, be, to, to learn to be content with life and who I was, even if I never 
got married. Now, does that mean I was perfectly healthy and a perfectly whole person when I did, did get married? No, just ask my wife. Okay, my weaknesses and my blind spots still regularly show up in our marriage, and I have to keep working on them. And by God's grace, I want to and do through therapy and community and prayer. No, it didn't make me perfect, but this is true. I was a better man when I met my wife than I would have been if I was simply passive while I waited. You know, the Bible talks about marriage as a visible representation of Christ and the church. Look at what Paul writes in the letter to the Ephesians. In chapter five, he picks up this metaphor and he actually talks about this sort of actively waiting in the sense of preparing ourselves to be married. Now, not just with a spouse, but waiting for our ultimate union with God and Christ. Look at what he says. So it's for husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. See, God wants to work in and through us now while we wait to actively transform us, to mature us, to cleanse us so that we will be ready for this glorious wedding day when we're united fully with him in love. Revelation chapter 19 picks up, picks up this theme. It says this, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. We want to honor God. It says, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Now, ideally, we would love and honor our future spouse enough to work on ourselves before we ever meet them and after we meet them and 30 years after we meet them. And hopefully we can love and honor God so that we also actively allow him to be at work on ourselves. To be the kind of people that God wants us to be, to allow the Holy Spirit to be at work, forming Christ in us, producing the fruits of the Spirit in us. You know, many times I think that we wait passively for Jesus. We just suffer along silently. We wait and hope that eventually something will change. And we imagine that a relationship with God means God's going to intervene in my circumstances and make my life the way that I want it to be. The Bible's clear that not only is God always active, but he's actually at work within the circumstances, as broken and as hard as they may be, to transform us and change us, change us if we're willing to participate with him. If we're willing to allow him to do that work in us. You know, Romans chapter 8, which we just uh, looked at earlier, it's talking about as believers, we have this groaning, this longing for things to ultimately be whole and well and good. 
as they will be someday. There's this powerful verse, and it's pretty well known, and maybe you're familiar with it, Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, in this common translation of this verse, our role is passive. We just sit by, trust that God is at work in our lives and that he is bringing good. Now, the good we always assume is the good we want, right? The circumstances, the way that we want them to be. Our life, the way that we want it to be. Of course, God wants my life to be the way I want it to be, right? That's just how we think. But our role is passive. If we have any role at all, it's just to look for the silver lining in what's going on in our lives. Oh, yeah, maybe this is the, God's going to work this thing for good. Oh, you know, they, you know, and we start trying to connect the dots and pull things together. Uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright and many others contend that this is not the best translation of this verse. That it shouldn't be passive, it should be active. Instead of of, it should be with. So it should read like this. We know, in fact, that God works all things together for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Now, I find this persuasive and compelling. The Bible, in many places, talks about how we are co-laborers with God in the world. God wants to work in and through his people. And that we have a choice in the midst of our broken circumstances, in the midst of a life the way that we don't want it to be, in the midst of pain, of struggle, of grief, and suffering, while we wait for things to be different, we have a choice. We can be inactive and passive, or we can recognize that we have this call to be at work with God to bring about the good he desires in us and through us. And again, I want to hammer this home. That doesn't mean God is going to work in us and through us to change everything to be the way that we want them to be. It means working good in and through whatever is going on. Good in terms of transforming us to be more like Christ. Good in the sense of blessing and loving others. Good in terms of being agents of peace and justice in the world. Good in terms of being witnesses to Jesus. You know, throughout the the New Testament, it's this sort of active life that is lifted up where allegiance to Jesus is what is driving our actions and behaviors and motivations. This is the life of discipleship. I mean, in what we just read in Ephesians, Paul is calling those who are married to love well for the sake of Christ. Not because they think that their spouse is really worth it, for the sake of Christ. He also calls children to be obedient to their parents, not because their parents deserve it, out of obedience to the Lord, he says. In 1 Corinthians, he talks to people who are single, and he gives them the same ultimate call to give their allegiance to Jesus and says, hey, make the most of your situation. He actually says it's better for you to be single because you can just care more for the things of the Lord. As Christians, this is ultimately what unites us, not our circumstances, not our age, race, gender, or marital status. We're called to this life of discipleship. 
Now, that doesn't mean that, again, that everything's going to be exactly like we want it to be. No, we're in Advent. The whole world is in Advent, a period of pain and suffering. But while we wait, those of us who love God and are called according to his purpose work with him for good. An active life of formation and transformation while we wait for that ultimate time of redemption. Romans 12, I think, summarizes what this active waiting can look like. Romans 12, 9 through 18. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. We can do this no matter what our circumstances are. No matter what's going on in our lives. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Again, this is universally applicable. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy. But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. And here it is. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. We can all learn from that. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Sometimes I think we spend so much of our spiritual energy, our prayer life, focused on our external world. Because we're in a season of Advent, things aren't the way we want them to be, and we desperately want them to be the way that we want them to be. We want things to be peaceful and good and prosperous. But sometimes when we get so focused on the external things, we forget what God is actually up to and how he's actually wanting us to partner with him for his purposes. Now I want to challenge all of us this week to take this section of scripture. So go ahead, you can pull out your phone and write it down real quick. Romans 12, 9 through 18. Romans 12, 9 through 18. And every day this week, read it. That's the challenge. To think about what actively waiting in this life looks like. It's not about straining and striving and praying to get everything the way we want it to be. No, it's about being surrendered and available and willing for God to be at work in us, preparing us for our wedding, our union with him. Romans 12, 9 through 18, we can meditate on that, ingest it, allow God to help us focus on that and to be active then rather than passive. So that's ultimately the challenge that we have today. Are you living passively, just waiting and hoping and praying that your life will change? Or are you being active within the circumstances that you have? 
And again, we're all waiting in, in different realities. We're all wanting something to be different. We're all suffering and grieving in different ways. But what does it look like for you to be active in waiting? If you're grieving right now, what does that look like? If you're suffering in your body, if you're struggling with your mental health, if your marriage feels like it's falling apart, if you're lonely, if you're struggling financially, what is God teaching you? What is he doing in you? What is he wanting to do through you? I want us to be the the kind of church that doesn't wait passively. That doesn't just sit around and hope that our life will change and our circumstances will come into alignment with our own will, but that we'll be a church that is self-reflective, humble, surrendered, teachable, So that we can be who God wants us to be in this world and that we can make him known, that we can say, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we wait, let's prepare ourselves in the present, in our current circumstances, to be more ready for our marriage. Again, the union between us and God, Christ and the church. Because in that day, patience is not going to be necessary because there will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain or grief. Things will be as they should be. It's this beautiful promise we see in the book of Revelation, the very end of the Bible, it says this. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Let's pray. Oh, Father, it is hard to wait. It's painful. It's painful to experience the grief and suffering that is the result of this broken world. Sometimes the result of our own brokenness. Sometimes the result of just the brokenness around us. God, but we know that you are always active, that you are at work. Father, we love you and honor you, and we want to be the kind of people that you've created us to be. And so we just give you permission right now to work in and through our circumstances as it is, life as it is, to to transform us from the inside out. Give us your character. Produce the fruit of the Spirit in us. Help us to be a witness to who you are in the midst of the darkness. God, we want to be active in our waiting. Give us grace to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.